I said already this morning, Living Stones, we're going to be talking about uh, our role in building God's kingdom and how improving this facility um, is part of that. Last week, we asked what I think is the most important question, which is, is this church alive? And that's what we asked John Lim to share about a little bit, was just his experience with this living church. Is the church alive? Because we've all heard or know of churches that have built because they're dying. Like, uh, we're in a pickle. Well, if we build it, maybe they'll come. That's not the situation here. Or we've known or thought of churches who have a lot of old money and not a lot of vision. And they're thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe the shot in the arm is if we had a nice building. Well, we happen to have no old money. Uh, none. Uh, but if it's old in our church, it's like three months old. Uh, but we have a lot of vision. And, and so this church is very much alive. I believe. And that's the first question is, is um, for what purpose is the building being improved? And at present, it's being improved to meet the vision that exists in this living church. This morning is the second question. And that is, are you a living part of this living church? And with that, we're going to look at uh, Second Peter. Our time in Second Peter is, this is actually the theme passage for the campaign uh, to uh, improve the facility. The passage will, I'm sorry, did I say Second Peter? First Peter? First Peter 2. Sorry about that. <clears throat> it's page 872 in some of the Bibles and the seats. And Peter is on his way to describe how we handle one another. He's transitioning from what Jesus has done for us to who are we in Jesus, which is a different, it's a different layer. What Jesus has done for us to who we are, why we're here, what his purpose is, what our practice as followers is, okay? In other words, Jesus... Because of God's great love for mankind, Jesus came. He offered his life up for us so that we can stand before the Lord as though we are justified, as though we are righteous, right? Christ gave us his righteousness and Christ took on our sin. And he did that because God loves us and there's just no way to understand God rightly and stand before him if our sin is still in the way. But God, Christ has removed that. So now we can stand before a loving and righteous God with confidence and hope and we can ask him questions and we can cry out to him because he calls us son and we call him father now. That's what Jesus has done for us. Furthermore, the Lord has given us his Holy Spirit which lives in us, calls us to greater righteousness, comforts us, reminds us that God is on our side. That's what Jesus has done for us. Now, who are we and why are we? That's where Peter's headed. And that's what we're going to spend our time on here. 
Uh, let me read 1 through 5. This is 1 Peter 2. I'm going to read 1 through 5. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Where we're picking up in chapter two, Peter's in the pivot from what Christ has done, like I said. And so he's already beginning to talk about conduct. And, and we, we pick up right where he, there's this sort of negative teaching. In other words, if God is everything that we've said he is, then what place does malice and deceit have in our lives any longer? In fact, the other sins mentioned, hypocrisy, slander, envy, they're sort of built on malice and deceit. Malice and deceit are the opposites of truth and love, you know, or love and truth. And they're sort of the building blocks of these other sins. And he's saying, if we have the love of God, if we have the truth of God, what place is there any longer in our lives to be driven by hatred and falsehood? Because we're children of the light and we're children of the love. That's... That's the initial thought. It's a calling away from our old selves. And he meets it with a positive teaching, which is in verse two. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Think of that. Like new, how does a newborn infant long for pure, pure milk? Let's think about that for a second. Like it longs for it. I mean, if you, a newborn child lets you know that it's longing for it all the time. Middle of the night, longs for it, right? There's this, you're three, you're never more than about a three hour wait from a newborn infant longing for it. That's what Peter's, Peter's using that image He's giving you, he says, that's how God would have you long for him. And this idea of, of spiritual milk, it's, it's not just knowledge. It's not to be smarter about God. It's spiritual nourishment. It's spiritual maturity. It's, it's to be raised in the spirit, to grow spiritually. The thing that long for the things of God to be yours is what's being said here. Long for it. Like an infant longs for his mother's milk. We we have lots of kids. So we've had chances to mess up with each of them. They've each had their honored chance of being scarred. And here's one of these moments. 
early on, we had a newborn, and my wife was part, our neighbors, we're real good friends with our neighbors, and she, my wife and her girlfriend from across the, the, the wall, we were at a quadplex, so a girl on the other side, they would go every week to a local college, and they would sing in a choir. She has a good voice, and uh, uh, the other young lady is an exquisite soprano, just known for her voice. And so they would go out once a week, and they would go sing songs, and I and her husband would like wave them away, take care, toodaloo. As soon as the doors would shut, we would hang out and have the best time ever. It was like a big party. It was like summer in the winter. And we, it was back in the day when computers were first starting to talk to one another. And so if you knew the code, you could link computers and play games and like hunt each other down. And we had the funnest time ever doing that. We'd yell through the walls. And well, I had, I had, we had an, inf- we had an infant. And it was, you know, the, kind of the one night a week where Andrea got away to be free. And I, I covered it. I got it. So she comes in one night after singing and says to me, how, how was, how's the baby? And I said, I, I don't know. He cried the whole time. He whined and he whined and he cried and he cried. I said, I eventually just put him down because, you know, I have to go game. My buddy, I'm not going to let this get ruined my night. What kind of person am I? So I tossed him in his crib, slammed the door shut, and dealt with myself. So, you know, Andrea, in a kind of a classic way, where she's trying to figure out, you know, what happened to the child, she says, well, you know, what did you give him for dinner? Dinner? Forgot to feed him. Like, I'm like the worst dad in the world. Forgot to feed this child. Of course he's crying out. Why? Because he's, he has this longing for food. Right? And, and he's longing. He, 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 this, he has this righteous longing, right? I'm like a good picture of a bad God. Okay? And he's a great picture of what Peter's talking about here. How we ought to... The admonition is that we ought to foster in ourselves a genuine desire for our God because our God is good. Our God offers a feast. Our God has good food waiting for us. We should just long for it. You know how an infant can't eat enough, right? They're always whining. Then they turn eight. And the fork becomes something they use to move food around the plate. Like you could make them a turkey dinner and put on their plate in the What's for dessert? Right? Is, is, that, what we, is that what you are? I, I want to know, are you, are you long for the things of God? Are you sort of looking at this plate of godliness and nudging it around, trying to bury the peas under the potatoes? And Like, do I really have to eat this? That's what he's talking about. He's calling us to a genuine longing of a good God. We should just sit in that for a second. I mean, there's some really hard questions 
that come out of this. I mean, I'm as human as you. I, we have our seasons where the things of God are just not that exciting to us, or, and we can make that sound mature. We can say things like, I'm just in a really dry and weary place right now. Questions, you know, why, why am I not longing for God? It's a really important question. There's a longing. Why do I long for so many other things? I, these are hard answers. I don't have great ans- answers to these questions. I don't have three bullet points that you know, make a word for you as to how to have a life of perfect longing for the Lord. I do find comfort here in the fact that God commands us to long. It's not that Peter hopes it maybe will long. He says, no, so see to it that you don't live a life of malice and deceit any longer, filling it up with envy and hypocrisy and slander. He says, no, that's not the goal. He says, like newborn infants, he's telling us what to do. Like a newborn infant naturally does, you need to learn to long for the things of God. I'm refreshed by the fact that it's a commandment because the passivity that would normally creep into the Christian life that sort of wakes for God to drop all of the profundities of the kingdom into you is gone. There's no wait for it. You foster it. This is what Peter's saying is you foster longing for God. And I, I find there's some help in that. Because even if I don't naturally feel it, I'll give you a, just a general example. I think most people do not naturally long for a healthy diet and exercise. We don't long for that. I want to eat cake all the time, <laughs> all the time, right? And I don't want to go running Unless there's a grizzly, I don't want to run. And then if there is a grizzly, I will only run faster than the other guy. That's it. Right? I don't naturally aspire to those things. You know, but in recent years, in recent years, I have had ample opportunity before the physician for them to say something like, you know, that path you're on is no good. And I've been able to sort of see, like, hmm, if I don't start doing this, I can't be what I want to be before my family, you know, I, before others. I, and it, it has caused me to start to long for it in ways that are unnatural. I'm longing for it in better ways. You know, when you're 20, the only reason you exercise is to have, what, a P90 beach body. But when you're not 20 anymore, you're thinking like things that matter in your life. So how do we foster a longing? We think, I mean, the Lord is saying to, to to you, I am commanding that you shall be enamored with me. It is my command. Now, how do we do that? I think... The whole, everything before this verse is God describing why we ought to be impressed. What he's done for us, the way he handles us, the gift of his son to us, the gift of his spirit to us, the gift of his church to us, the gift of life to us, the gift of the earth to us, 
the gift of family to us and friends. I mean, we, time and again, if we just account for the things that matter, if we begin to appreciate things that are good and true, we will long for God rather than things that are false and hateful. There's sort of two questions, I guess, that would hang out in today's sermon. And this is the first one is, I mean, notice the verse. It actually has kind of an eerie feeling. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up into salvation. What, you mean I don't have it? (laughs) Yeah, we just want to, can I get it? Where do I go to put money in the machine to get salvation? Here it's, it's like a newborn infant you want to grow up to be a child of God. It, it, has, it has a process and a lifelong effort that we don't like to talk about. It even is cup accompanied with the third verse, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I mean, I would, I would come to you and say, a first good question is like, are you actually a child of God? I mean, a faithful follower of Jesus have you tasted of the Lord and seen he's good? Because there's no point in trying to foster a spirit of longing in somebody who does not want the meal. So that's the first question probably that, that would sit for us. The second one comes from what's next. Look in verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, that Peter's describing Jesus. As you come to him, Jesus, who was a living stone, who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God is a chosen stone who's precious. That's what he's saying. You yourselves, verse five, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The first teaching in verses one to three, one through three, sort of lands well on the individual. You, the individual, walk away from malice and deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and slander. That's so unbecoming. It's so not of God. Rather, foster in yourself a spirit of longing. Just like we sang, you know, holiness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I long for. Begin to fan in you, pray to the Lord, to awaken the sleeper in you, to ignite in you a desire for things that are good and true, and in that you'll have a longing for the Lord. That's all. It works thinking of it in a very singular way. You, the person, do you in fact think that God is good? Do you want him? What a great question for the individual. But four and five are not for the individual. You yourselves are like living stones being built together into a holy house, a temple. The word temple's not there, but the idea is obviously here. This is a temple, right? We are building, we are the, we're not building a holy house. We are the pieces We're like these stones in this room. We are, we comprise the holy house of God in which sacrifices are made. We are also the priesthood, by the way, to be a priesthood, it says. So we're the house and we're the priesthood making sacrifices through Jesus Christ to the Lord. 
It's the temple. It's, I mean, Peter is, what Peter's doing, look at verse 9, you'll see it again. You'll hear it. Watch how he's grabbing what was reserved for God's chosen people, we might say Israel. He's grabbing all of the richness of that and he's giving it to people of faith. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. All, all that was theirs, exclusively theirs, is now entirely belongs to those of faith. Just like the temple. This is what it says in Ephesians. You'll hear that exactly the same. I'm just going to, I think it's on the screen. Okay, my eyes are going. I'm going to read verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built, hear the imagery, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Individually, don't hang out any longer with deceit and malice. Your life should migrate from those things. Rather, foster a longing in the Lord. And if, in fact, you're a follower of God, if you have a taste for him, if you've tasted and he's good, then remain in it and foster a longing in it. That's for you. Collectively, we are being built into a temple. The fullness of God and all that he has to offer, think of, the, think of the Jewish perspective. Where is God? In the temple. I'm not, I'm not negating or rejecting the fact that you individually don't have the Lord. What I am doing is amplifying the idea that the fullness of God is found among his fellowship. You don't have all the gifts of the Spirit. The fellowship has the gifts of the Spirit. You know God in part. But among the fellowship, you have the opportunity of knowing God fully. All the roles of God's kingdom, whether it's preacher, teacher, apostle, giver, helper, all of those different roles that sort of exercise himself, you don't occupy that, all of those roles, no. All of those roles are distributed across the living stones of the temple of God for his full glory. When you build stones together, they make something. When you just have a stone sitting in a field, people look at it and they call it a rock. And it does not appear purposeful. It does not do anything. You know, I think it's, it would be impossible, I believe, to exaggerate the challenge that Western individualism applies to the faith. We are so individualistic. But I would, you know, we search for what is my purpose in life? What is my place in this world? What am I going to be when I grow up? And these are so wildly individualistic. And, and I think the Bible, the ultimate counsel of the Bible is, is your purpose in life is not entirely knowable except through God's people. 
You can seek a purpose. You can pursue, you can call it whatever you want. You will not be fully home until you are fully incorporated into the holy house of God. All the gifts, all the roles, all the things necessary are here because it's the center of his activity. And in this is sort of the second question. So if the first question is, is are you in fact, do you have a longing for the Lord? Are you on the path to salvation? Are you after God? If that's the first question, the second one is, uh, are you a living stone? Are you among these living stones? Are you part of this holy house? Do you belong here? And I don't mean that in a jerky way, like, do you belong here? I mean it in a really nice way. Like, do you belong here? Is the church alive? That was our first question. The second one is, are you a living part of this living church? And the rest of the questions about what role we play and how much we give, and those, they'll start to work themselves out. But if we know that I'm a living part of this living church, then we know we have a role to play. Okay, I'm gonna pray. And if you'll bow your heads and even before we pray just with your eyes shut, I always in my mind have this special care for folks that are like, we don't even know if this is our church. So be at at ease. Be free in the spirit. Lord, may throughout the entire series here, Lord, we welcome conviction, but we shudder against the notion of guilt. So, um, Lord, may, may you be free to speak. And I do pray, Lord, for those who sort of the speed bump for them is their relationship with you, that They long for the wrong things in the wrong way and they long for, they fail to long for the right things with the right fervor. Lord, I pray you would impress upon them the things that you've done for them that are good and true. And Lord, for all of us that are alive, may we be confronted by how are we part of this this house of God, these stones here, Lord, and and I know in this house of God there are old stones who have been bearing weight for decades, um, whose edges are polished down from being walked on or doing some, forming some purpose, Lord, and they know, they know their purpose in you, Lord, but there are other stones, Lord, here who new and brightly cut and figuring out how to be added to this this building, your temple. So Lord, help us each to answer it well, but in our own way. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.